0: One cake and tea. Didn't you hear? She said she'd closed. What do you want in here? Cake? What's it got to do with you? I happen to be the proprietor. Now, would you leave? Ah, I'm glad
1: you're the proprietor. I was going to have to have a word with you anyway. We're working on a film up here. Location, see? We might want to do a film in here you're drunk just bring out the cake cake and fine wine if you don't leave we'll call the police Balls. we want the finest wines available to humanity we want them here and we want them now To what may possibly be the last episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, a thousand and one movies you must see before you die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. With us in spirit, as always, is Ian Woodington, and I am I'm quite thrilled to have the guest that we have today. Um you may have heard her voice on our Dark Knight episode, and you definitely have heard her alluded to throughout the entire run of our series multiple times, and my guest today is Liz Woodington. Liz, how are you doing?
0: Doing okay. How are you?
1: Um, well, I got to be honest, Liz. It's been a hell of a 24 hours in just sort of um, knowing that this was coming up today. that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, full disclosure to those listening, we are both drinking. Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you know, this is my second, but you know, I'll catch up. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, we are here to discuss, uh, with Nail and I, which, um, was Ian's favorite film, um, and, uh, f- a little like insider baseball, um, when I decided to do this run of movies, I tried to go from like memory of things that he said I should watch. And then like other, I kind of assembled these and I could have picked any number of movies. Quite honestly, I picked seven cause it got us to 130 total episodes like that. That's a nice round number. Why not? And I had guests lined up for every episode, but this one. And I was like, you know what? I'll just do this as a solo pod. And like, I shit you not like the next day was like texted me and asked me if this was one of the ones I was going to do. And if so, you'd like to be the guest, which I thought was just very serendipitous because I had not planned on having a guest and, um, I could not have picked a better guest to be on this episode. So I want to thank, you, thank for, you for coming here to, to talk about this movie. Um, we'll we'll do we'll do all the the standard things that we do on on the episode here um but i just wanted to i don't even know if this is the right thing but give you a platform um to talk about not not i don't want to say just your and Ian's relationship because it's so hard to just like hey sum this up in a few minutes but um what it was about your relationship in relation to to movies and, and, and how that sort of was, was intertwined with your relationship?
0: Um, so, Ian and I met at work, and um, I can't tell you what our first conversation was about, but I, I guarantee you it was probably movies. Um, and within the first like six months of him working with me, um, he had completely taken over my Netflix DVD queue. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to solidify that that's what it was um at the time. um everything that was suggested to me had piled up at one point. I think I let him just log on and queue things up because I was so <laughs> tired of trying to remember the movies um and um, and when he found out that I hadn't seen with Nail and I, he had a conniption to say the least he lent me his personal copy um at the time um and I think what was great is because when he started talking about movies I had come from a place where I was watching a ton of movies like um throughout my senior year I moved to Kansas stupidly and I worked right next door to a video rental place so Mm -hmm. every day when I get off work I would go and grab a movie and bring it home and soon enough you run out of the new watches and start like digging through stuff and that just kind of um continued into my early 20s because the person I was with and living with at the time worked nights so I would spend almost all my nights alone so I would just sit there and watch film after film after film after film yeah um and so yeah that's how um kind of our friendship and relationship started I remember one point um I had pointed out the emperor from Bertolucci and the Last Emperor, the Last Emperor. Yeah, sorry, and um, and I pointed it out, and he, the way his face looked, he's like, "You like Bertolucci?" And it was like, I think <laughs> I want to toot my own horn, but I, the fact that I even knew who that was, and um, that I enjoyed that very long movie, um, I don't know. That's just kind of how it started, and it was the rest is uh.
1: It's history. It's history. Um, yeah, and it was great, you know. And and I, this seems more just like full circle, but yeah. So and and you know, Ian and I met in high school and met over film. Um, and it's funny because I I so I, I I I associate Ian more with high school than I do with like post high school. But I the other day I sent you a Facebook memory photo of him at our our apartment in Bellingham. Um, <laughs> playing guitar hero uh which what we did and i need everyone that.
0: to know he could never play past medium <laughs> couldn't hit that orange button for the life of him <laughs>
1: um and then you know as time does it, you know we drifted apart only i mean we mo- we moved states and um and i was busy with grad school and was just so happy to reconnect with him when we moved back um and reconnect with him and reconnect with you and or not reconnect but meet got to meet you and then we became you know we got together as often as we did. And, you know, the only, the only uh, negative isn't the right word, but thing I would say was like, it just, I, you know, knowing now where we are, just wish we would have done it more. Um, Absolutely. And, uh, and yeah, so, you know, we miss him and we're gonna talk about his favorite movie today. Yes, is, we are. Is what we're gonna do. Yeah. We're gonna get through it. Um, okay, uh, so we, we always come with recommends. And, and Liz, I'd love to know what your recommend is today.
0: Okay. I originally wanted to recommend a newer film, but I'm all about comfort films right now. So I went to one of my top five, and I'm not ashamed to say that. It's a Pirate Radio here in the U.S. It's The Boat That Rocked um, in the U.K. I watch the U.K. version if you can. It, there's about 15 minutes missing. Oh, okay. The scenes are cut weird. The um when I watched the US version because I watched the UK version first, it genuinely bothers me. <laughs> I did watch the US version this time just because I <clears throat> couldn't be bothered to go get the DVD off the shelf and figure out how to work the region-free Blu-ray player, which is the bane of my existence right now. It's not as easy <clears throat> as they
1: may is yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so this movie has um Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bill Nye, oh, uh,
1: Oh man, I used to know more of it. So and I so I I will say uh, first and foremost that this is a movie that I haven't seen, but I know of it. And
0: okay, yeah, it's re- I'm, I'm, I'm surprised meant to make I a list. Haven't seen it. uh, it's got it's a star-studded cast and it just kind of drifted under the radar for some reason. It's it's chocked full of people and I'm blanking on so many names right now because that that was not my job. <laughs> 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 this has come up time and time and again this was not my part of the deal
1: um okay so uh and yeah I've, and I, I remember too i think part of the reason why it went under the radar was because of the um the, the switch in title um but so and it's coming from richard curtis too who people will know from writing for weddings and funeral and love actually and other films like that um other people in the the cast, uh Nick Frost. Thank you. That's the
0: one I was struggling with.
1: And I would say those it's those three who are probably the, the bigger named people in the Oh, Kenneth Branagh is in it, apparently. And Chris O'Dowd?
0: Yes. Oh, Chris yeah. O'Dowd. There Sorry. There we go. There no, we go. Yeah. Anyways, it's got a cast. The soundtrack is phenomenal. It's basically, if you haven't heard of it or seen it, it's uh one of the pirate radio stations that was stationed off the England coast way back in the sixties before um, rock was really accepted or, or um, the mainstream. It, yeah, And um, it just, it tells the story of this younger lad that comes to stay on the books. His mother thinks it's a good idea for him to um, stay there to straighten up because he's gotten expelled from school from smoking and drugs and drinking. <laughs> and um, so he goes and stays with his uh, great, uh, his godfather, excuse me, played by Bill Nye. Um, and he... Um, proceeds to just create relationships with these people. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is one of my favorite actors of all time I as mean, well. Yeah, um, this movie has become an insane comfort for me. It's funny, um, and I just think it's I think it's incredibly underrated. Like I feel like if more people had seen it, it would have gotten more recognition for what it did. And at the end of it, they just go as you know the boat sinks. Sorry, spoiler. <laughs> the boat sinks. <laughs> no, no uh, you had. You've had more than ten years to see this film Fair. at this point. Yep. Um. And um, and at the end of the credits, it's you know, it talks about how rock is now played on thousands of stations across the world, all day, every day, and how as for rock and roll, it's been a pretty great, you know, fifty years yeah. since then. And it is just, just a phenomenal. I still get goosebumps. Just the record drops in it, the the humor in it. Thick Kevin. And I can't remember who he's played with. There's a certain point where they're playing charades and they're like, be careful when you're playing with Kevin. Um, He's a little aloof and he's gets a cue card and it's man in a man in a dress. Nice guy. Excuse me. It's nice guy. And then it's really nice guy. And then it's, he wears a dress and they guess someone goes, it's not Jesus, is it? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, why don't you just say it was the son of God? He goes, is he? Like, there's just those little moments in this film that just, I just love. And so, yeah, that's my recommend. Check it out. I get the boat that rock, though. Please. Okay. Please don't just watch the, the U.S. version. It's garbage.
1: Well, I, this is a movie that I, I, when it came out, I was aware of it. And just, yeah, as you said, kind of went under the radar. And, and Ian has mentioned it before. I mean, he's mentioned it a few times. Um, well, good. Great. That, a reason enough to watch it. Perfect. Um, so I I didn't I didn't know what I wanted my recommend to be for this episode. I watched a movie that he likes the other night and I did not, so I didn't want to use that. I was like, I would just be faking it here. and I don't want to do that. Um, so instead, I kind of tormented myself and because I, I rewatched with Nail last night and then after that, I, uh, only for the second time, I, I, I re-watched um, Life Itself, which is the documentary about Roger Ebert. Um, and it sort of chronicles, you know, how he came to be uh, a film critic and um, his battle with his, his the, the jaw cancer that he had. And uh, he, I mean, it wasn't jaw cancer, but the cancer he had in his mouth and he has a jaw removed and sort of dealing with that. But it also is, you, you can't help but, for the movie to go and talk about Siskel and Ebert. Um, And uh, I I, I recommend this movie because it's just, if you know film at all and grew up kind of when we did like two thumbs up, Siskel and Ebert, like that was the way you knew about a movie. Um, And Ian and I were absolutely those two guys in high school, just like the the movie guys. And that's what we did. Um, And, you know I think for me it's it's its it, it's a good documentary and 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 I think it it shines a light a a lot on on somebody who I think was just most known for being a movie guy um and there was so much more to him than that and the some of the parallels that that was I was drawing from the doc and from not just my relationship with Ian, but just Ian in general and film connecting people and um I don't know. It, it was, it was exactly what I needed to watch, but also kind of left me um, in a, in a puddle downstairs by myself oh, last yeah. night. Um, but uh, I, I recommend it as documentaries go and I recommend it because um, I think it's, it's enlightening and, um, and it's also just fun to see, you know, the, the rise and fall of Siskel and Eber. Like they started, they really did not get along as, as human beings and yeah. over the decades really grew to, to be very fond of each other. And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't have much more to say than that. Just that it's a, it's, it's a very compelling documentary about this person, but also just, it hit home. It hit, it hit where it needed to last night. So that's great. Yeah.
0: I need to check that out. I think we watched it a while ago. Yeah. But I, to be honest, probably wasn't, I just knew them as like the old two guys, two yeah. thumbs up. Like that was a big deal. Yep. You know, I just assumed that they were just best friends. Oh yeah. And no. then I watched the yeah. documentary and I was like, Oh what?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Rival newspapers. Yeah. Not cordial at the beginning. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So there you go. So, so pirate rate, no, the boat that rocked, yes. not pirate radio. Same movie. <laughs> I know, I know. But aka. But, yes. <laughs> and uh and, and Life Itself. Those are our recommends um this week. So uh we're talking about with Nail and I. Now this comes from this is written and directed by Bruce Robinson. Yeah. Um what a what an interesting guy oh. he seems to be.
0: Uh so I have the arrow yeah. criterion. Yeah. And um I watched so the BBC Four, I guess, back in like 1999, yep. put out this like little. They had a Withnail weekend, mm-hmm. like that's how big. This is like got a cult. The fall, cult following, yes, yes. and I'm sure we'll get into that. But they did a documentary on him, and it's the longest one of the four. It, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> and first off, I don't think him and Richard E. Grant get along. That was the. I didn't look into that. I didn't go any further, but I just watched that one and the one before. Yes. And he is just something. Robertson is uh, his character. Well, it's,
1: it's interesting. I mean, and, and, uh, and we, you know, we can spend a little bit of time on him. I, I, I thought it was so, I mean, obviously, well, and I shouldn't say obviously, because I'm very new to this movie. I've now seen it twice in the last week and that's, that's all that I've ever seen it. Um, Apparently uh the Withnell character is based on somebody that he knew by the name of uh, Vivian McCarroll and that was sort of the inspiration for that. I loved um in the documentary before that what he said he was uh, that the Vivian in real life he was a a jack of all master of none, which I thought was a really a really interesting way to f- talk about a human being. Um which I thought and I think for the Withnell character makes a lot of sense. Um And that essentially Bruce was the inspiration he kind of wrote himself into as the Marwood or the and I character. Um, But when he was talking about being in um, Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet and essentially feeling like he was being constantly come on to. um, And then that coming into play in this Uh, movie as well. Yeah. um, I mean, it's it's interesting it's it's terrible that again like this was back in the '60s and that this is still a, or '70s. Um, this is still a thing that's happening now. Predatory behavior from people in charge, um, but the way of finding that into um, into the the movie, I, I thought was interesting. I I took it personally. So uh, we'll, we'll get into this when we talk about the movie. The 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 acting of it all. The fact that these these carrot these main with Nail and I are actors in this. Yeah. But then Bruce says he can't stand plays. And like my, my heart hurt a little bit. Because A, this is you've written your characters as actors. And B, that's just that's like my life. So I yeah. just like, I, I, was, I was like almost Slight. like personally offended. Yeah. Um But I mean, you know, Bruce Robinson won an Oscar for writing the Killing Fields, which I had every intention of watching this week, but I time is what it is. Um so this guy who's writing kind of conventional screenplays at the top of his career. This comes off to be a cult hit. His next film, um, how to succeed in advertising was kind of a flop also with Richard E. Grant. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, it's like, I, I don't know what happened specifically, but, um, where his, where his, uh, his career goes after that is like just down. Like this was the downward trajectory. This was the apex of his career. And, and then it just goes down. I Recently, Melissa and I were going through and watching trailers from, like, the late 90s of movies. I was just going, like, we, we were kind of doing, like, research for Below Freezing, right? And I go, oh, I, I heard of this movie called In Dreams. So we watched a trailer for it. And I was like, oh, man. It was like, this does not look good. And it's like, this, you know, this is written by him and directed by Neil Jordan, who did The Crying Game. And Mona Lisa and all these other really prestige movies. I'm like, wow, that looks terrible. It's one of those movies where, like, what happened? Because clearly the people making it are good, but. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I don't know. Bad combo. <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently. Um, but Bruce Robertson, what a. Just a, an interesting figure, human being. Um, he yeah. is
0: just something else. I just can't. <laughs> you know, it's fresh on the brain. And I look at him and. When you watch this, you know, whatever it is, 30, 40 minute blip on him mm-hmm. from way back when he, he talks about how Marward or I, as he's referred to, he, he wrote a lot about himself. But I am I look at him in that documentary and I'm like, you're also got a bit of with nail in you as, oh, as well. like for sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, he bases it off this vib, which, you know, the. Writing is dedicated to Viv, um, but it's almost like he started off as Marwood and now he's transcended almost into the Withnell character. I mean, during this whole documentary, he's smoking up a chainstorm. Well, he's got like ashes on his his table. He's drinking red wine. I don't even know if oh he,
1: he talks about waking up and at having, eight a.m. Yeah, and having red and wine and he kind of just
0: brushes it off.
1: Yeah, and it and it's funny and I think it's that that description the the jack of all master of none. I also think this. I don't. I can. I don't know Bruce Robertson. I, I. I have not seen enough of his stuff to make a, a real, um, concrete observation. But I wonder if this kind of fall from grace has sort of shifted him into this Withnell character because because the Withnell character in the movie is constantly talking about how he's going to be a star, a trained actor, and like he's got all these big lofty dreams, and yet. He's doing nothing about it not except for bitching to to Marwood and, and whoever his agent is on the phone. And I I think actually I think you've nailed it. I think that Bruce Robinson has become the Whitnell character, this sort of guy who's been shaft like who feels like he's been shafted by the business and is like on the outskirts of it. Yeah,
0: his blip about like I hate writing, you know, it's like I, I put all these put six months worth of work into this and then it just gets torn to shreds and it's just it's very Yeah on point.
1: Watching him type was infuriating. I was like, "How do you be a writer and you still type with two fingers?" I, I I was like, "Dude, you, you need to learn how to type."
0: That's why it took you six months. <laughs> Just saying.
1: Um. So I'm. I, there's no way he's not coming back up. But I figured. So so he wrote and directed this. Um, you know what? This is a this is a really small cast. So I I really only I only have the what I would call the four main characters here. Um. Obviously, we have Richard E. Grant as Withnail and Paul McGann as I or Marwood. Um, And then I have Richard Griffiths as Monty or Montague H. Withnail, who if you don't, if you haven't seen this or don't know, he's Dursley from Harry Potter. Um, And Ralph Brown as Danny. Now, I I, I was debating on whether or not I was going to do this, but I'm absolutely going to do this. So. The movie's going, and we meet him fairly early on, and he goes away for a while and then comes back. Mm-hmm. He came on, and I lit up because I knew him from something instantly, and that thing that I knew him from was Wayne's World 2.
0: Ironically, I never clocked him in Wayne's World 2 until after <laughs> I'd seen With Nail. <laughs>
1: Okay, so so this, is, this was the thing that I wasn't sure I was going to do, and now I'm, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it, okay? okay. Just just indulge <laughs> me for like 45 seconds. <clears throat> so there I am in Sri Lanka, formerly Salone, at 3 o'clock in the morning, looking for 1,000 brown M&Ms to fill the brandy glass, or Ozzy wouldn't go on stage that night. So Jeff bitboxes his head around the door and mentions there's a little sweet shop on the edge of the town. So we go, and... It's closed. So there's me and Keith Moon and David Crosby breaking into this little sweet shop. Well, instead of a guard dog, they've got this bloody great big Bengal tiger. Well, I happened to take care of the tiger with a can of mice. But the shop owner and his son, that's a whole different story altogether. I had to beat them to death with their own shoes. Nasty business, really. But sure enough, I got the M and M's, and Aussie went on stage and had a great show. When he would—that's his like—he repeats that monologue in World twice. It's it's money. It's one of those random monologues from the early 90s that like I am fascinated with. And when he when he comes on screen and he's talking about like do the 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 aerials and stuff. I'm like I'm like dude you. I don't know him from anything else besides these two movies, and I just naturally am like, "You are just this person," and then you see him in the documentary. He's bald. He's well spoken. I'm like, "Who? Who are you? Who are you, Ralph Brown?" So I
0: loved it. he he based the, um, voice. I think it's the same voice he uses in Wayne's World Two. It's slightly it different. has to be, <laughs> but it's off of some makeup lady. Yes, uh, that he met at Pinewood Studios. Yep, that would do that, and and, and, and he couldn't stand. Yes, that, <laughs> that she was so thick.
1: <laughs> um, yes. Uh, so so what a what a so yeah. I mean, those are our, our, our four main people. I mean, there are other people in the movie, but they everybody else is in it for such a fleeting moment. I didn't necessarily feel like calling anybody out by name, but those are our four main performers. And even then really it's Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann. Those Absolutely. are, those are the actors in this movie. Um, it will surprise maybe no one to find out that Bruce Robinson is not in the book for any other movie at all. Um, which is, which is what it is. So when the movie came out initially um, the only accolade I could find from its initial like run was that it won the Evening Standard British Film Award for best screenplay when it came out. However, in like the decades since, and I've just got a handful of these. Um, in two thousand and seventeen, um, Time Out uh, ranked this as the fifteenth best British film ever. Um, uh, Richard E. Grant's line, um, "We want the finest wines available to humanity. We want them here. We want them now." Apparently, was voted as the um, the third favorite one liner in a 2003 poll um in 2001 with Nell and I was the thir- uh, was ranked number 38 in Channel 4's 100 greatest films of all time um and I and I'll talk a little bit about this review um in a sec here and uh cuz I, I I pulled Roger Ebert's um uh great films review um uh it's not on the IMDb top 250 um it's got a 94% critical and uh, audience score on Tomatoes. So kind of beloved by, by most, um, I think the reason I, I, and I, I'm so glad I watched the, the, the Ebert documentary last night again, because I didn't know that Ebert himself had dealt with alcoholism in his, in his youth, Mm. um, and gave up drinking. I want to say sometime in 1979 and, um, uh, was sober until the day that he, he, he died. Um, but in the, in, the, in the first part of his review, he talks about how in his drinking days he would go to this one place and, and, would, and would drink and would sort of hold court and would say all this stuff. And he says, I relate this story to explain why I identify with Withnell and I, which conveys the experience of being drunk so well that the only way I could improve upon it would be to stand behind you and hammer your head with two pound bags of frozen peas. Um, he talks, he says that Richard E. Grants was a tour de force and that basically we will never not know him for anything but for playing Withnell. Which, obviously, he's in other things, but I think, I mean, how can this you is not? No-
0: notorious. It was his first big role. And...
1: Yeah. Um, but his, his review ends with this. He goes, why does the film, which I've made sound so depressing, remain so popular after more than 20 years? It achieves a kind of transcendence in its gloom. It is uncompromisingly sincere itself. It is not a lesson or a lecture. It is funny, but in a consistent way that it earns and it is unforgettably acted. Bruce Robinson saw such times survive them and remembers them not with bitterness, but with fidelity. In Withnell, he creates one of the iconic figures in modern film. Most of us may have known someone like Withnell. It is likely that Withnell never knew someone like us. His mind was elsewhere, which I just liked how that was written. That's great. Um, so uh, Liz, do you like lists? I love. This. <laughs> uh, I I love lists as well. I love lists. I love lamp, um, and it's it's fu- insane. I love lamp is is very applicable to this list, which I think might have been on a previous episode, and I think I know which one. But um, so I pulled time out London in twenty eleven. Did the top actually top 100 comedies of all time. Now we're not going to talk about all of those because we have other things to do, but I pulled the top 10 and I'd love to just hear your quick, maybe your quick thoughts on some of these that are on the list. Okay. Uh, Number 10, The Jerk.
0: Nope.
1: Not, nope, haven't seen her. Nope, like no way. Like don't. Nah. No?
0: Nah. I
1: was, we watched it about a year ago and I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. I really was.
0: Didn't like it. (laughs) Not at all. Send me to sleep
1: perfect uh number nine is a, what i would call a very classic choice um some like it hot okay kind of a standard you know survived the test of time billy wilder um number eight groundhog day fair yeah did you see palm springs what did you see palm springs
0: no no you didn't see palm springs Wait.
1: the andy sandberg Oh,
0: i did did you Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: I mean, it wouldn't make the. This was came out way after, but I I like the riff on it, and I yeah. That was fun. Bill movie. Murray, you can't. You I can't of course wrong. not. Uh, number seven, and the reason this list is even we're talking about it, is with Nail and I. Perfect. Made the top ten. Number seven. I think there it should
0: be number two, but that's fine. number
1: number six, and the reason the list thing was great. is Anchorman is uh, listed on this, which <laughs> that is amazing, is, which touches me so much. That's I just great. Um, uh, we're gonna repeat this thing here. Number five is Monty Python. And the Holy Grail okay number five number four and this is the one I most am not cool with for multiple reasons is Annie Hall
0: really yeah really yeah well that I now, now I'm pissed off at this list
1: I I'm curious because this this was is 2011 and this is when midnight in Paris came out and this was sort of that that brief resurgence of Woody Allen he won mm-hmm. the Oscar for the screenplay again um I I I think they do this list today. Annie Hall is not even on the top 100. I
0: don't understand how that's there. I, I just, I'm not a big fan of it. No, it's yeah. not, no.
1: Uh, number three, I get to say Monty Python again, but this time for Life of Brian. Mm. And I think this list might have been on the, uh, the Life of Brian episode. I'm not positive. But um, number two, uh, which I, I, I'm pretty sure Ian was not a fan of this movie, Airplane.
0: Terrible movie. I don't
1: think he was a big fan of the Zucker Zucker and Abram stuff. Oh. We did the Naked Gutty. He was not a fan of that. Also
0: terrible. Oh.
1: <laughs> that's great. I love this it. This is why we were married. There you go. <laughs> there it is. Um, and number one, another film that Ian I wouldn't say he hated, but I know he didn't like it a lot, uh, is this is Spinal Tap.
0: Okay. Well, I I'm just gonna go out on limb. He was wrong. I feel like maybe one more watch would it- <laughs> have. You know, just
1: I um and I wouldn't say that I love this is Spinal Tap, but I certainly I certainly enjoy it. I really like the I don't think it should be number stuff. one
0: on that list. What's number
1: what's number one if you don't For me? Yeah,
0: oh it has to be the holy grail. Okay I mean I'm
1: we I, that's where yeah. And but I also like what I told Ian though is I like, I I guarantee if I had seen Life of Brian first, that probably would be my preferred of the Monty Python. But I didn't. I saw Holy Grail first and it just, it, it lives up higher.
0: That was an argument we had just constantly. I, he was like, yeah. Brian, Holy Grail. I saw Holy Grail first. Yeah. I just,
1: and that's important. Like that's like when you see a movie is pivotal to your opinion on something and it can be really hard to be like, I mean, I, I think life of Brian is a smarter movie. I think it's, I think the way that it, it attack maybe is not the right word but but comes at religion is very smart i love it a lot but i can't I, holy grail is just like in my blood
0: yeah <laughs> it's in my, in my
1: DNA I agree with you there <laughs> um and that's you know that's really all i have in terms of the the all the opening stuff that we do um so in terms of plot boy there is not a lot of one in here it's really we, we we meet them um they are going through various rounds of being on and off drugs and various bouts of um, withdrawals and, and, and things. Um, uh, Marwood decides that what they need is to get out of the city and to go to the country. And the only way to do that is to go to Withnell's uncle, Uncle Monty and get access to his cabin out in somewhere outside of Penrith, <laughs> which is a city I now know of because of this movie. Um, and uh, they go to the country and essentially try to uh, clear their heads, get some space before coming back. Um, various shenanigans ensue while they're there, and we'll talk about those. And um, ultimately, they come back to the city, and Marwood has a job. And I think is sort of realizing that life with Withnail is going to hinder him from wanting to continue to be an actor, and, and they part ways. And uh, the movie ends with Withnail, Giving uh, one of the one of the famo- more famous speeches from Hamlet what? to a couple of wolves at the London Zoo, and he, he walks away in the rain. And credits roll. Um, so I I have to imagine that you've seen this movie a l- way more than I have,
0: at least twenty times. There you go, um, bare minimum. Uh, yeah, probably and, more.
1: And so I'm I'm like, what are your, you know. What were your initial thoughts, and like, and I guess I'm, I'm wondering, like, how did your appreciation for the film kind of grow over time?
0: Oh, uh, I don't know. I first off, when this film started, the first time I watched, it, I remember putting it in, and that saxophone starts playing, and I was like, "What did he recommend to me now? What is this?" Yeah, because I mean, some of the things I was like, "It feels like a different. I'm movie gonna watch at this because I think you're really cute, but <laughs> I." I'm not going to like it. I'll just pretend. Um, but this one, it starts off and I, it's so great. I couldn't not like it. I, I remember the first time I watched it, it, the credits ran. I instantly just restarted it again. And I watched it. I think I extended the Netflix rental nice. I had on it. No, no, no. I was borrowing his copy and I didn't give it back for like two weeks. He was getting a little concerned. Sure. Fair enough. I finally bought my own copy, um, <laughs> a little bit after that. But um, the the Ian quoted this film so much, like it was almost daily. And I'm at least once a week it would happen. It's hard not to. And, it's
1: so quotable. And and like as in so many moments. Well, and it's it's funny. I so the I the first time I watched it was also on on Ian's birthday and. I'm taking notes, and I, I I fucking hate taking notes on a first watch. I I hate it because I'm not. I know I'm missing stuff, and which is why I watched it again last night. Um, but like I was I was typing so much because I felt like every couple of minutes there was something that was said that I thought was very clever or funny. I mean, I think the first one that might be the most. Um, i not obvious, but like the, you know, my, my thumbs have gone weird, um, is, is one that really like stood out <laughs> very early, but even b- before that they're, they're walking up the stairs and, and what, and was like, we've just went out of wine. Now, what are we going to do about it? And like, cause that's like, at that moment, that's the biggest concern to him is, well, I've- yeah,
0: that's, I love that. I love that. You know, y- this film starts and and you hear that saxophone and then you it slowly zooms in on Paul McGann's face and you can see like the exhaustion, the tiredness, the existential dread. Yes. He's borderline on an anxiety attack. He puts the kettle on in the background of the kettle going on. He's he you can see there's like a roll of toilet paper just on the table half collapsed. And and then he leaves while the kettle's going. Knocks on the door. I'm gonna go get some tea. Goes down to the shop. He mumbers some stuff. Watches some lady grab that egg sandwich oh, that just droops, and you can just tell that's Jesus. the end of it for him.
1: And then he comes
0: home, and and when Whitnell comes up and and you know talks about how you're out of wine, he clearly Marwood is having an anxiety panic attack, but like. Whitney no, completely ignores it. Continues to talk about the the steroid. Uh, it's escaping yes. me at the moment.
1: The guy, the the shop putter or something, right? Like Who's... they're
0: in two different realities, <laughs> and it doesn't come together until Marwood gets the coffee and puts it in a bowl, and then suddenly they're like in the same room together, even though they've been in the same room together, they're not in the same room together up into that point. They're, yeah. they're having two different conversations. He's like, I don't feel well. And he's like, that's what you would say, you know? And, and it's just, it's great. Um,
1: and, and, and one of the other things I, I like, I, I clicked with almost instantly, like, like the, the conversations that, that they have in that first scene I also understood immediately why Ian liked train spotting so much. This idea of these 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 friends in various forms of of being on or off something, and like, you know, train spotting has very little plot either. And it really is about watching these people live their lives and and and. I'll use this word like what's important to them because at the moment like those things are the most important you know like with nail not having any more wine that is the most important thing at that moment um and I'm so glad you mentioned that like the toilet paper because the um the set design and I want to just say his name it's uh Michael Pickwode the production designer like there are I mean it's it's great because there are not I don't want to say obvious, but things that work really well for it, like all the pictures, like there's like Chaplin on the wall and old black and white photos of movies, and their actors. Of course, there's going to be that kind of stuff, and like, and I, you, it's it's too blurry on the movie, but like I I can tell by the the thickness of some of the things on the shelves, I know those are plays. I know that from just personal experience. I know that though that's what that is, and the the world of the apartment is so specific to these two people. Um, and again, I think that is a lot of um bruce robinson and his friends who went to the um the center for speech and drama in in london which is which i know of by name but is a huge deal like if you that's where you're going to get your your acting degree in in the uk that's a great place to go and i could just see these people these actors just like who knows how far they are out of school and like still wanting to cling to i'm a trained actor but like what was the last thing i did and that world of the apartment is just wonderful.
0: You know, the whole bit about the cigar commercial. That's what I wanna know. What happened to my cigar commercial? And it's the the kitchen scene is probably one of my favorite things about this. I love a lot of scenes, but the the leave it, we'll we'll go get it in the we'll go at it together in the morning and, and the oh, I you know, I brought this I'm you're gonna have to bear with me here. Oh, no I worries. don't wanna misquote things. Cause that's one way to get yourself. I, uh,
1: I I mean, and I love like, you know, they're so concerned about what's in there. What? And I think it's, um, with no ghost, what have you found? And Marwood goes matter. And like, just like that word takes on such resonance. Right.
0: right. And the, um, the gloves bit. That's the oh, thing. like, Oh
1: God. Yes.
0: Don't attempt anything without the gloves. And that is become, that was a common line in our house. And
1: the entire sink's gone rotten.
0: The, the entire sink's gone rotten. <laughs> Think something's alive. Uh, it's just and the the steam from the kettle that somehow still yeah is just filled and it's just and it's so gross.
1: Oh, it, it's terrible.
0: It's and the fa- and then like the the sausages he brings home and he just throws it in the toilet oh, and it's God. just oh,
1: it's great though. It's a kind of closeness that I, you know that I, you know I've I've lived with Melissa since I was basically nineteen years old. And, and like for one year we had a roommate back in like, like Jesus decades ago now, it seems like, but like, I don't, I don't know what it is to live with somebody that I wasn't like with in a relationship. So like this, what I found so interesting throughout the movie, even though it is a comedy and there are very funny bits in it is what is keeping these two people together? And, and I don't know that I have a solid answer to that except for there's gotta be something about with nail his sort of postulatizing of like, you know, listen, listen to me. And, and you know, I, when he's putting all the stuff on him and like, you know, I'm a trained actor reduced and it's, um, to the status of a bum. It's, it's, it's so great, but it's like, there's this, um, I'm going to totally nerd out for a second. Uh, there's this, uh, theater maker, uh, he's not alive anymore, but his name is Jersey Grotowski. And his whole thing was like, you know, what makes theater theater is you have to have an actor and you have to have a spectator and that it's not theater if you don't have a spectator could be one person but before it to be theater you need a spectator or you're not or it's not you're not doing it and I think for withnell he's got his audience his audience is Marwood and because Marwood's there he hasn't yet um Failed. He hasn't. Um. Uh, he hasn't had his moment that Monty talks about, where he realizes he's not going to play the Dane, right? Yeah. And and as an actor, that's like fuck. That's tough because there's a moment where you know I, I know I know older actors who it's like you know they try and try and try and it's like I've now realized that I'm going to be doing like small local things because my time is gone. But for for Withnail, he hasn't had to do that. Because he's had his audience. He's had his constant. Captured. Yeah. And so that's why I think it's. uh, I know I'm, I'm jumping. Sorry. I'm jumping right to the end of it. But when he gives that final Hamlet speech. I like I don't need anybody to tell me otherwise. Like that is his acceptance that like this acting thing for me is over. I don't have an audience. Marwood's gone. He's clearly got a path that I don't got to let it go. And that, that was like, I always, like, whether it's a movie or a TV show, I, I always love comedies that can still, like, like pull this right hook you didn't see coming of, like, oh, oh, there's some emotion in this thing. Yeah. And it really hit hard. I thought that was, I, the way they built to that was, I thought, was phenomenal.
0: Yeah, everything from the, the cut to where you see him with, you know, you see Marwood with his new haircut. Yes. And he's cleaned up and the room is packed up. And he puts those two books in his bed. One of them is Charles Dickinson. I don't know what the other one is. Um, and everything from that to I don't, you know, let's have, you know, you know with nails just like grabbing at straws like i stole this bottle from monty's yeah it's great and it's vintage and let's enjoy and he's like i don't have time i gotta go to the i gotta get to the train station he's like well then i'll walk with you and then they get like not even halfway through the park and they're right at the same spot where they were the very beginning of the movie and they're just that moment is like it it still hurts breaks my heart
1: yeah and it's 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 the you know it's i don't think the movie is even trying to to necessarily hit that so hard, but like this idea of accepting your fate of accepting like where you are in the grand scheme of things. And you know, it, it's funny because this is also the same movie where, you know, 40 minutes before we're in the, the middle of the country in England and, and you know, with now coming out with plastic bags tied around his feet so that he has something to walk in. And you know, all of these, this I mean, well, I, well, we'll come back to sort of the big the big theme there, but like the the humor in here is all over the place because there's a lot of sight gags, there's a lot of just witty stuff, and and like usually I feel like comedies kind of tend to rely on one or the other, but this has got a a fair amount of both.
0: It it's got it's just the perfect combination, like everything from like the the first. Bit of dialogue to like the very end. You're either getting visually stimulated by a sight gag or a line that's come out. Like I love the the bit in the bar yes. after they leave. <laughs> you know, like even the bit when he's rubbing all the what we would call icy hot. Yeah. Um. He he like he's like there's nothing left in the tube and he's like used it all over and then he flings the cigarette across the living room. God, I'm like, where's that go? Um. And <laughs> You know, they go to the bar and and it, oh, oh, the, the, the lighter fluid. Oh, yeah. Which I, I'm going to just bring this up because there's been multiple rumors, but I, apparently it was vinegar. Yeah. They switched it out for vinegar. The puking was fake. People like to allude that the puking was real. It was not. Yeah. Um, but like the perfume and then the big burly guy comes up and he goes, Punks. what's your name? Fuck. And it's just like.
1: I called him a punt.
0: And how like he just instantly backs down and whatever my friend did. I didn't I've I oh. nothing to do with it. I have a child. I've got a family. Yes. And
1: and that's what I like that moment is is a great a great moment where both those things are happening. And like and I actually I wrote down this too that the, the I'm happy accidents are the best. And the, the piece of pie stuck in, in Richard yes. e. Grant's face, that his smile looks so crazy because it's just stuck there. And I just and before that, he's just like, who the fuck? What fucker said that? I did I called him a punnce and like just the sheer look of terror on his face i I, I have a heart condition and then he goes to my wife is having a baby
0: and the look of betrayal on Marwood's face is just like uh, like like it's just the timing is is so oh it's so good yeah it, um
1: and and then and then then that's basically when we get to meet Danny um in this scene it's so funny like well, and I, I should say too, so so um, the correlation between this movie and Life of Brian is that it's also from Handmade Films, which is uh, the production company that George Harrison is a part of, mm-hmm. and his, and I want to get the name right here, his producing partner, whose name was uh, Dennis O'Brien, there it is, um, Dennis O'Brien did not think the film was funny and like it was very, this movie was really close to being taken from Bruce Robinson, Um, who I, and actually this is actually something I appreciate on the first day of filming. He told the crew, like, I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. We're going to make mistakes. That's going to happen. Um, And that there's a sense of humility there that I really appreciate just being open about, like, we're going to, we're going to figure this out together. Um And that like, Dennis O'Brien thought like all comedy should be brightly lit and that this was just not funny. I know it was um, like
0: day two or three that they were like trying to cut it yeah. and just get rid. And I'm like, I can't imagine a world without this movie for well, me. And that was like, when I learned that I was like, Oh, like came that close to not happening.
1: Well, and it's, it's so funny cause I, I'm coming off of the, the Blade Runner episode and also an episode that we recorded for below freezing on event horizon. And while those movies are drastically different than this one, these are both instances where very early on the, the producers were wanted to take away the power from, from the people who were making it. And this is a very similar thing here. And it's like, you, you saw the script, like, like you knew what this was going to be. Like he, he filmed what he wrote. Like I, in like I just, I just, I, I'm always so fascinated by this. Like, Oh, it needs to be this. It needs to be that you're not, the vision isn't what we thought it was going to be. And I, like how do you know that like how would you even know that um obviously glad it it all it you know came about yes in in the right way um
0: danny yes let's talk about danny i love they love the intro where this is we're going backwards to where all good you know marwood's in the bath shaving you know you have a dialogue over and then and then Whitnell just barges in there's no knocking no he hands him a sausage and fries yeah while he's shaving stick it in the soap tray and save it for later because marwood doesn't want his sausage he's like by the way danny's here and he's like why is danny <laughs> like the look of fear that comes over his face and so like when you first watch this movie for the first time you're like this, is this person yeah what why is danny a bad thing and then well and it's it's funny because like i I,
1: I don't know. I wonder where we were back then with like drugs and stuff. Cause I feel like the idea of a drug dealer, despite what they might look like was had this like, Oh, like, Oh, this is going to be a really terrible person. And really it's just this guy who has these very interesting ideas, you know, about the, the aerials and about making a doll. That's going to shit itself because the doll that pisses itself is such a, like a, a bestseller I or whatever. That. Um, and what the I love the um on the street like the the pill he brings out he calls it the embalmer straight and like, the
0: embalmer <laughs> yeah that was this drug has voodoo qualities like I love I love Danny he's not my favorite character uh I like him more when he pops back up I don't like this first interaction with Danny
1: it's well it's weird
0: it's weird and you're just like you're here and then he's like do you have any shoes
1: yeah well and I it's mentioned like. I think I think Wood knows he's here. He's missing a clog, and it's like, and it's one of those things that like, it could they could have easily left it alone because there's a lot of stuff that just gets mentioned and never kind of comes back. But like before he leaves to ask if you have shoes, it's like, oh yeah, that's right. He's he's, he's missing a clog. He he doesn't have shoes. Um, it's just a it's kind of just a great thing to bring back before they they leave him alone for like fifty minutes or whatever it is, um, and then we meet Monty.
0: I have to say something. Yeah. There's little details in this film that I picked up this time around that I did not catch the first time. And one of them is is the parking job when they arrive at Montes. You know how like you're supposed to parallel park? Yeah. No, they just pull in. Yeah. They're not even trying. There was no trying. And that is that happens multiple times throughout this film. Where they have parked this car. Oh, like yes. even like, it, like at the, the cabin. It's arrived. just yes. it's just in the gate. It's, it's not it's even terrible. It's terrible. And I love that those little, there's little tiny things that I picked up that, and that's just one of them. Like I, the way that they part, you don't, I didn't even notice it the first time. And I'm yeah. like, Oh my God. So yeah, we, now we meet Monty.
1: Um, Monty, well, excuse me. It's so, it, well, I mean, just seeing Richard Griffiths, which I, I, I thought when I found this out, I thought it was great. He was only 39. Yeah. And he looks like he's in his fifties easily it's and it's not just his his size it's just his his the the hair hair. the his whole demeanor it's like yeah he
0: my favorite thing about Monty's house and i'm sorry (laughs) no and this i think a lot of people won't notice the first time around is you're so preoccupied with with the character that you're kind of listening to him but you're not really listening to him and if you look around his living room and that sitting room Mm -hmm. Those aren't flowers. He alludes to the one. He alludes to just the cauliflower in the center. Yeah. But if you take a cold hard look there's lettuce yes there's carrots there's chive growing in the background there's aloe vera growing and then as they're leaving you can also pass some red peppers like his obsession with vegetables is almost like i love vegetables so much that you know like it like how a rose um what did he say that a cauliflower is more beautiful than a rose and flowers are prostitutes prostitutes for the bees bees. and it's so good (laughs) Because he's such a like, you know, he indulges in sweets and candies and all this stuff, and and it's like it's almost like that is him saying, Nick, no, I'm healthy, and I love, yeah. I love healthy things. That's well, what I pick up from it's, it.
1: it. It's that, and it's 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 this, but it, well, it's like everything is it's a veneer, right? So we've got like the all the vegetables as if it's covering up the fat that he so good it. and like the. I appreciate I would, like I appreciate a young carrot or like a something about like and it's very clear like and I don't want to make any kind of like you know he's he's definitely stereotypically kind of approaching the idea of playing a homosexual but like all of the double entendres about carrots and and the the very sexual glances he's giving Marwood are, and
0: that's what I think is great is because back in these days like yeah. that was so proud of we were just coming especially in the UK like you're just coming out of an era where that was like illegal yeah and so this is where he has grown up and so of course you're gonna have these allusions to it you're gonna you're gonna make references to a, a young firm carrot yeah. you know and, and and I think it's great I he nailed it, it the cat thing kills me the, oh. we have to leave because of the cat
1: I I I, I. I I mean, I I had cats growing up. I mean, I say I had my, my parents did, but his, it it seems like he's only ever completely frustrated with the cat. Like to, Mm -hmm. to the, extent of like, if I could grab this cat, it would be dead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's just so it's the extremes are so huge, but he
0: keeps it around because he's lonely.
1: Yeah. Well, and yes. And I think that's very clear that he, he's desperate for, for people, Mm -hmm. for something. Um, even if it's, I, you know, part of me wonders too, and I don't think there's, I don't know if there's anything obvious in the script, but if Monty even knows that Withnail is not the, the thespian that he claims to be.
0: I, I don't think he cares.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: I think he wants to believe that because then at least like he has someone who's successful that he's related to that he can tote along with. But I also think he he doesn't, even if he did know the truth, he probably wouldn't acknowledge it. Yeah. That's what I got. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I love, you know, and, and there's a lot of like acting lines that get said here. And, and there's, it, um, with now says that Monty used to be an actor and says, it's true. I crept the boards in my youth, which is great. I just, nobody calls them the boards anymore that the stage. And I just like hearing that made me very sentimental for the fact that that's what we used to call it. But yeah, he says, I, I will never play the dame. And when that, when that moment comes, one's ambition ceases. And like I didn't know at first, I heard the line, and as an actor myself, I'm like that. That's a like, when you realize you're not gonna play the role that you thought you would, that's a real like life changing moment. Not realizing that it was a great plant for what was gonna happen later in the movie. Um, but I, but yeah, and that's why I feel like this for me. This movie is unique because. I think it's a funny movie and very like like a cult classic, but also like all of the, when they reference the acting stuff, I'm like it, for me, it pulls me a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Which I just, I appreciate.
0: I love it. I mean, I, I did acting in high school. I haven't done any since, but just hearing those certain, like the Dame thing, like that's like, you know, those are things you just, yeah, you know,
1: you want to play the Dane, you want to play Hamlet. Everybody wants to play Hamlet. Of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I love it. I, it's, and the dramatics of it are just yeah. so classic and it's so, and then
1: I don't know if I forget if it's before or after this, but when, um, when, when with like, I don't want to, I'm not going to understudy Constantine and Constantine is one of the main roles in the seagull and the seagulls check And again, like if you're a theater person, you would know you would this, Pick
0: these things. And up. if you
1: don't, you just, he just doesn't want to be an understudy, but like, it's great. And then of course I'm also like, I'm like, I, I'd be like, I don't want to fucking understudy. Just give me the role. Cause, and I get that part of it too, like. No, I don't want to understudy. Why can't I, I play to the, the role? I be the backup
0: in case she yeah. has a cold. <laughs> <laughs> like...